everyone. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to Matan's One-on-One Podcast. If you would like to sponsor a podcast episode in honor or memory of a loved one, please contact the Matan office via telephone or email us at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Each week, we spend 30 minutes speaking about a seminal figure or idea on that week's Parsha. Parshat Shmini recounts the tabernacle's climactic inaugurational ceremony. After seven days of preparation, we read about Aaron's sacrifices, the nation's sacrifices, and the inappropriate sacrifice of Aaron's sons, Nadav and Avihu, that leads to their shocking death. At the height of all the holy excitement, their death puts a tragic damper on a moment of man-initiated connection with God. This is followed by a series of limitations put on the priests, often thought of as a reaction of sorts to the misguided behavior of our own sons. Following this is a detail of pure and impure animals, what we know to be the laws of kashrut, along with several additional laws regarding the idea of impurity and how it's contracted. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of sitting down once again with Matan Eshkelot graduate, Rabunit Margot Batwinik, who is currently serving with her husband as the Mizrahi OU JLIC campus couple at IDC Herzliya, where they grow and develop the young professional and Olim community. Margot, it's great to be sitting here with you again. Hello, Dr. Rubel. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. My pleasure. So I'd love to hear what you've brought for us today, who you want to speak about and what ideas you have to offer about Parshat Shmini? Well, I absolutely loved hearing your summary because the summary in itself, it's an interpretation of the Parsha. Just the way that you explained the Parsha is you're, you're, you're giving a perspective. And I think it's true. If you were to ask anyone what Parshat Shmini is about, what this week's Torah portion is about, what would they tell you? The death of our own sons. Of course, it's the story of Nadav and Aviyu. It's the death of our own sons. That seems to be the drama book. I think what people don't realize is that that story is actually only two verses of the entire Parsha. There is a much larger story going on here. And that is something that I've seen and learned, we learn through the ideas, through the commentary of Ramban, of Nachmanides. And he does this all of the time. Um, I want to give the, the credit and note that although Chazal, although our rabbis, although Ramban does this all of the time, the idea was initially introduced to me and given language for it when I was learning, I was doing my master's in Hebrew University through a professor of mine, of mine Professor Ilana Pardes. She taught many classes through the Israeli school. I took many classes on biblical criticism and her specific approach to literary analysis through Torah. And she has an idea in her book, Counter Traditions of the Bible, in her chapter on idyllic revisionism, where she speaks about how often in Tanakh, how often in the stories, the subplot becomes the main plot. Meaning there might be a national story happening. It seems like it's the story of Hakamat HaMishkan in this week's Parsha. It's the story of the inauguration of the tabernacle, the stay that we've all been waiting for, that we've been reading about for 20 verses. And it seems like it might be the story of Nadav and Avihu, but really, and their deaths, but really there is a subplot to it. 
And we need to understand the subplot. She, she says it's it, as if a biblical parallel to Stoppard, Furzenskrantz, and Guildenstern are dead. It's this understanding that the marginal is going to become the central, that the story that we don't think this is about is at, that's actually what the story is about. And is that from the perspective of the person, of the reader, or the perspective of the biblical text? Meaning, is there a way that the text lets you know that I'm a little bit tricking you, that you think this is the main point because it's the most dramatic and attracts the most attention? Or who, who is supposed to realize that there is the, is it because the text is letting you know or because the, the reader is supposed to pick up on that somehow? That's a great question. I would say it, um, that your question is also an answer, meaning the moment that I, I, I definitely didn't realize it myself. It's the story of Nadav and Avihu. But then you read Ramban and he points it out to you that this is the story of Aaron. This entire story is about Aaron's thought process, his response to Nadav and Avihu, his understanding of what's going on. And once you see it, it's almost like you don't even know what the subplot and the main plot are. You don't know what's more, because once you read it, it's, I mean, now I am so convinced that through Ramban, that this, this is the story of our own. So I think like your question is, is the answer. Like it, once you, once your eyes are open to it, then it, you just, it re, you read the whole story differently. Okay. So let's jump in. Let's see what, it, what does Ramban have to say about this tragic event? You know, we're in Bayikra, Paraktet, Leviticus. Chapter nine, and it is the story of Hakamad Hamishkan. It's the story that's about to happen. The inauguration's about to happen. What's going, what's meant to happen is that Aaron, his sons are going to give the sacrifices and God Shlina is going to come down and he's going to eat the fire and accept it. And the Jewish people are going to sing and dance and cry of happiness because on behalf of the Jewish people, um, the, 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 they are going to be forgiven through these sacrifices, right? And, we jump into the psukim and we read the story and Moshe starts off, of course, by, by just, you know, telling Aaron what to do. Right. And you, you hear these psukim, you hear these verses where just Moshe says, give the korban, right. And give that sacrifice. What should be the next thing that happens? What do we always see? That he does it. Yeah, Vayas Kainaron, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's everything. In, in fact, in the chapter beforehand, nine times, it's going to say those words. Kasher Sivashen. They did exactly, right? In the, in the verse right before us, Vayas Aaron Ovanava, Kolad Varema, Sher Sivashen, Biad Moshe. That's what we're used to hearing, that Aaron and Moshe and his kids, they just do it exactly, exactly as Moshe said, said to do it, right? It's, that's what our, that's what we're used to. That, that seems to be the point when the Torah is going to repeat it nine times in the, mm-hmm. in the previous, that all of this is just about following what God says. And of course, that's why people say the story is about Nadav and Avihu, because they did something that God didn't command. And people end there, but no, there is so much more to it. Because instead of immediately after this, the Torah then saying, Bayas Aaron, Kasher Siva Moshe, that Aaron did it, it doesn't. There are Many psukim. This whole story is going to be eight verses, eight psukim long. And we have to try and figure out what happened. And when we look, you know, in the shot, we're not going to, you know, go through it. I don't know if people have the, the text in front of them, but it seems to be instead of reading, Aaron says, oh, yeah, I got this. I'm on it. Instead, again, Moshe needs to come back in and say, Zazdavar, this is what, you know, this is what you have to do. Just to orient anybody, that's Pasuk Vav. We're in the ninth chapter, and that's the sixth verse. Um, right. You're saying that he has to come and tell Aaron again because it seems that it hasn't been done yet. That's well, how it's you're... pretty weird. Also, yeah. why does he have to go tell him again? 
And then Moshe then continues in the next verse. As if he's trying to convince him. He keeps going. This is what you have to do. This, Aaron, this is what you have to do. What is going on here? Mm-hmm. This whole, this is the story right now, right? And I think it's so easily skipped over, but there's this entire conversation or not even conversation, just Moshe continuously saying to him, let's go, Aaron. And what is going on here? Finally, finally, in the next verse, Right. Finally, he comes and 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 he goes and he gives the korban. Right. So you're saying there's a significant delay between when Moshe initially tells Aaron what to do to when he actually executes that command in in the eighth in the eighth verse of this uh, of this of this chapter. Exactly. And then the pasuk immediately after, again for those because they're they're you know who are in their car or folding their laundry or whatever else they're doing while listening to this podcast. <laughs> the next verse is elav. Okay, that then his sons get involved. So you're saying there's a much closer juxtaposition of Aaron not listening or not following through, and then his sons come right after. So he sort of starts this parade of not doing exactly what he was supposed to. That's definitely one interpretation, but I think the question really is more just why. Okay. Right? Why it's does he so tarry? It's clear that Moshe is, needs to repeat himself here three or four times, giving explanation, reminding him why he's doing this. And it's so, it's the antithesis of what we always see. Mm-hmm. Our own is the epitome of Vayas Kain Aaron. Okay. That's what, that's what we know about him. He, he listens. So what's going on here? So Ramban has, the most incredible shot. He comes along and, you know, it's, it's Ramban is, is not Rashi. He's, he's, he's longer. And, you know, we don't need to read um, the whole thing inside, but if people do, you know, want to look into it there, they should look at Ramban, Ahmadis, Vayikra, 9-7, Paraktet, Pasuk Zion. We're just going to read a short and, excerpt of that, of that commentary. Yes, we can't. Definitely. His first answer, the first he comes with is simply saying he was nervous, right? Uh, everyone don't overthink this. Aaron was nervous, and he likens it to, to a bride marrying a king, right? A, a call on her wedding day, but not only that, marrying a king. It, she's nervous, and he's nervous. This is, this is a very big deal. And even where Jonathan Sachs, Levracha, comes and, and beautifully adds to this idea that for the very first time, if you think about it, who is Aaron? He is Moshe's mouthpiece. He's Moshe's spokesperson, but he has always been number two. And perhaps for the first time, He's going to be number one. And for anyone who's ever been in that position, the difference between being number one, having everything on your shoulders and being the assistant, that is very different. This, this was all on Arnett. Could just, he was scared. And I think that that is an amazing answer. In that light, Margot, it's more of an encouragement on Moshe's part and not any sort of, there's nothing, there's no negative connotation. It's simply Moshe encouraging Aaron to take that step forward and do what he's supposed to do. hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and that's everything that Moshe is going to say to him. This is what you have to do. Like, don't worry about it. This is all you have to do. It's with, you know, perm around the corner. It, it, it feels almost like Mordecai saying to Esther, like, this is what you have to do. And, and, and like, this is, this is your rule right now. It's just, just step into it. Yeah, you got this. Okay. But it's Ramban's second answer that I want to focus on that I think is, is, is relevant here that I think Ramban is so genius bringing that subplot to the main plot, bringing it forward. He says, we won't. Re- we can't read the whole thing inside. But but the tam davar zakiba avorsha ya aron kadosh Hashem the aim benashochi zulati maaseh haiga. Okay, you ready for this? He's he's getting us into the mindset of Aaron for a second, and he's saying what we have to realize about Aaron is that Aaron was kadosh Hashem. He had no 
Aaron had no sin in his soul. He had nothing on his mind, zilati ma'asaha egal. All Aaron was thinking about was chida egal. It was it was on his thoughts all the time. He continues to to skip ahead. He said, This it was as if ma'ake for him. It was holding him back. It was stopping him. All he could think about was the chita egal. Now that's a nice idea, Ramban. But where is Ramban getting it from? And that's where I think we come back and we realize, hold on, the subplot becomes the main plot because. When you go back to the very beginning of what Moshe asked him to do, and we saw all of that hesitation, all of a sudden we realized that Aaron wasn't just being asked to go at this big day that we've been waiting for again for 20 chapters, for 20 prakim that we've been reading about for the, the, the contributions that the Jewish people have given and the sacrifices that the, the, the priests are going to give, that, that this, this day that we're finally inaugurating, what, was, what did Moshe ask Aaron to do? Kachlecha Egel ben Bakar lechatat. He was asked to bring an Egel lechatat. It was a trigger, Margot. He was triggered. Exactly. Hmm. He was asked to bring Mechid Ha'igel. <laughs> he was at, that's what, that's all our own hears, right? And I think what is amazing about this is that as any, I think, reader of Tanakh, certainly anyone listening to this podcast is so, Mechid Ha'igel, the, the sin of the golden calf is, is something that it's so hard to understand our own role. And as much as probably the listeners are like, what do you mean? I understand it. I, I believe this commentary. I believe that. The, the text itself, the pshat does not give us an indication of why Aaron does what he did. It's, we, and he's not, he doesn't get punished. God never yells at Aaron about it. And in some ways that's worse, right? You'd rather just like be yelled at than given a silent treatment. Mm. And we tell, understand how Aaron never had closure on possibly the gravest sin that the Jewish people have ever committed that he was the one in charge. He was responsible for the Jewish people at that time, not Moshe for the first time. He was the one mm. in charge. That's a very sensitive reading. I have to say, I really, I never thought about that before I, before I saw this Ramban. And just to make sure that everyone's with us in terms of the wording, you now bringing a, what sometimes is translated as a sin offering, or I've suggested as perhaps more of a purification offering, um, bringing an egel, okay, a, 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 a male calf, that's a very common act in the realm of Mikdash and Mishkan. But what Ramban is saying is that you have to read this commandment, which makes sense in its current context. You have to read it with the backdrop of how these words resonate with the person receiving this commandment. And so for Aaron, he hears the words Egel and Chatat, and he hears Chete Egel, as opposed to this is the item you need to bring for the purification offering. Now, whether Moshe intended that or not is unclear. Um, but I think that that point you're making also is that everybody always wonders, like, how is it that Aaron isn't punished or how isn't, how is it he's never directly addressed? And I think it's also a really sensitive point you're bringing up, which is that when people do things that are bad, often they really prefer that it just be told to their face instead of walking around with like this, this shame hanging over them. I, it's funny. I recently had a situation like that with a student and I, I didn't want to say something and she did something that was inappropriate. 
And and this week she actually made a meeting to speak with me. And I know that she's wow. coming to speak with me about that because I didn't I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to initiate it meaning. And so ultimately, you know, the 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 moral person who's in tune and in touch and knows that they did something inappropriate, ultimately they'll face it on they'll face their own music, you know, but that's that's a really, really sensitive reading. Wow. Yeah, I, I think it is a even ending here, but the, I certainly think this continues throughout the story of Nadav and Viu. We, 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 we want to get to more of it, but I think this is the story right now of of not just Ara, not the Kohen Gadol, of a Jew, just not knowing where he stands before God. And almost feeling this imposter syndrome of, wait, Moshe, are you sure I'm supposed to be the one? It's I'm the one who's going to get kapara, who's going to get atonement for all of the Jewish people today. And you, you want me to do that with an egel, a chata? <laughs> How is this a good idea? And he's tell, he, he, his brother, note, he sees that he's, he's so scared. And, and of course, that's Ramban's third answer, which we won't read inside. But it's, it's Ramban's third answer is saying to is, is Moshe saying to Aaron, don't worry, no, that's the point, that actually God wants you specifically to give this so that you can know for yourself, so that the Jewish people can know that you are forgiven. And through that, once you're forgiven, yes, the Jewish people will be able to, you can get forgiveness for the Jewish people too. Wow. I think that we have that, there's, there's a lot of, I don't know if anxiety, I don't want to misuse that word, but I think there, there, there is that anxiety. It's very hard to know when we make mistakes, when we're forgiven. And even our own, it's our own. And the only thing that he's like ever done wrong <laughs> is, and I'm sure that's not true, but you know what, the, it is the Chet HaEgel. And we don't even know if he did wrong. I don't even want to place blame. The Torah doesn't. I, I don't want to, but at least in the way that our own feels about himself, he knows that that, that was a big deal. And of course he's going to feel that guilt or that shame. So with that sensitive reading in mind, how does that impact how we understand the events that that follow uh, of how Nadav and Avihu behave and, and maybe even also Aaron's response to their behavior? How, how does that yes. impact how we read that? Yes, that, that is everything. So uh, of course, first, now with that understanding, we need to, when you read these psukim of his sacrifice, when you read these verses of his sacrifice being accepted, there's a recognition that this isn't just, uh, oh, you know, God accepted it. This is verse 22, still in chapter nine, right? And he, he lists his arms out to the people, and, and God's going to come down. And the fire comes down and he accepts the sacrifice, right? And they're happy, they're singing, you can imagine they're dancing everyone's falling on their faces you can imagine our own the the relief uh, the deep breath of what is our own thinking right now i could i could cry thinking about it knowing what's coming next but it's he feels relief he thinks that okay it's over and i've been forgiven and and everything is going to be fine and of course the next only two verses is the story which we know too well where nadav navihu give this Korban, 
And just two verses later, we just heard just to appreciate textually, right? The fire comes down and, and accepts Aaron's korban. And then what is the language that's used for Nadav and Avihu in that, that same language, the fire is coming down to accept the korban, we think, of Nadav and Avihu. Instead of what do we read? By the way, that tool comes up all the time uh, in Tanakh, and it's it's worth noting it because it really impacts the way we read things. Just as an example that actually I brought this week in class is right after Mordechai uncovers the plot of Biktan and Teresh, right after the next pasuk, it says that Achashverosh you know, gives a reward and raises one of his officers above, above everybody else. And so it says he raises above Haman, okay? And so you have an expectation that after what Mordechai does, that he's going to receive that honor. But instead, we read about Haman. And of course, that relates to how all the plot develops. But that wow. that that tool you're pointing out about noticing, definitely if it's similar, similar language, but also what is our expectation for what it'll be? And then what do we actually read is a really important clue to one of the many important clues that we use for sensitive reading. So that's a really great point. We see the ish, and so we say, oh, he's about to he's about to consume all of their korban, and instead of consuming their korban, he consumes them. Uh, and so it sort right. of points to the irony and the depth of the tragedy also. Yes. Because it's that moment where you had such a clear expectation, Yes, and it's utterly shattered by what actually happens. Right. Yeah, I, 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 I read these psukim, and I... Uh, maybe I'm just tired from, I don't know, but I, I want to cry. You know, I mean, it's so, Aaron thinks he's been forgiven. And then it, his sons are, are are killed. Yeah, but it's not his sin. Meaning, so are you suggesting that we should read it's Aaron's sin that impacts his children? Is that what you're suggesting how we read it? Okay, so is it possible? And I think that this is what Ramban would suggest. That there's a lot to analyze when it comes to the story of Nadav and Avihu, right? And this is what I think most people are giving Shiriman as they should be, because it is fascinating. What did they do wrong? What were they thinking? Why were they thinking that? What There are the commentary upon commentary trying to understand what was going through their heads and why they were killed. But I think when we recognize that the subplot of this story, or perhaps the main plot, is about the mindset of our own. So if we hold back for a second, What's going on here? We look at these psukim as the story of Nadav and Avihu. We look at it as the story that we're trying to understand what they did wrong, why they did it, what were their motivations. But with this perspective, with Ramban's perspective, we're meant to look at this and we're getting into our own mindset. And what's our own thinking? Not what did my children do wrong, but what did I do wrong? And that brief moment of, of relief and relaxation and, and the, the sigh that, 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 he's, that everyone has been forgiven. Well, it could be that the Jewish people have been forgiven, but what is he thinking? He's still tarnished. Of course. And he's taking it personally. And whether it's personal or not, I, I don't, we don't know. But he, he is taking it personally. And this is a story of a father losing his children and needing to process that. And for all of the reasons that we can give as to what Nadav and Avihu do wrong, Aaron himself is blaming himself for it. 
So if you think, let me give examples. If you think like Sifra or the Nitziv, that they had excess love and they were giving the, that their problem actually wasn't a sin. It was coming from a good place. They just loved Hashem so much that they just wanted, they just wanted to give their own korban. So what is our own thinking? Oh, Shalom, the Rode Shalom. Our own, the one who loves, is that also, was that his problem with the Chida Ego also? Was there just too much love and, and a, that, in a, that, that, that too much Ava, not enough Yura? He's blaming himself. And if he's going to think that this was uh, as Yalkut Shimoni or as Rav Hirsch will say, that, that he, that they didn't have enough respect, that Aaron and that Nadav and Avi were thinking, oh, when are you going to die so that we can take over, right? If that's what they were thinking, then Aaron's also blaming himself. Did I not instill enough fear? Did I not instill enough respect into my children? As we'll see as he does listen to Lashon Hara about Moshe also later, right? Meaning he does, he, is it possible that whatever, I don't know exactly what Nadav and Avi did wrong. No one does, meaning there's, I think there's like 15 at least 15. Uh, there's a hundred. There's a, it's suggestions. It's because the, exactly. the Pasukim don't tell us, which is most likely the point. The point isn't why they did it. It's that they did it. Exactly. And every proof is so convincing because there's a, but the, the text before, the text after, there's, there, but whatever it is to recognize that our own is taking it personally because what parent doesn't take responsibility for their children's shortcomings or their children's mistakes, rightfully or wrongfully. I'm not saying they should, but I think that we see, can see as a parent for our own, of course, he's blaming himself. You know, I'll, I'll add there, not on the point of, God forbid, situations of death, although there are a number of moving essays that use this actually as part of a conversation of that topic from a Jewish lens, but um, certainly the piece about taking our kids' behavior personally. So usually at the root of all of our outbursts at our children is that we took something that they did personally. Now it's, it's a, it's a very blurred line because they are our children. And unfortunately, or fortunately we do impact their behavior and we do set, you know, certain, I mean, I I am guilty of this way too often Mm -hmm. of, of always blaming myself for when my kids will behave in a way, whether it's small or bigger in ways that, you know, I would like them not to behave. And I say, oh, well, I have pieces of that also in, in my personality. But, and, and it's true, okay? It's not helpful, but it's true. Uh, and usually we lose our equilibrium vis-a-vis our children. This is not just me speaking. This is, you know, parenting Thanks, books. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we lose our equilibrium when we we cross over into the personal in front of them. Meaning we should do a din v'cheshbon with ourselves regarding our children, but best to do it when we're not in that heated moment where we need to actually deal with them, because then we just start projecting all of our own fears, concerns, and real self-admonitions on them. So that wow. part needs to happen, but not in the heat of the moment. I'm, I'm talking about little moments right now. This is obviously something of a much greater right. scale than we ever want to imagine. But I think that that's a really... That's what you're saying is that this question of Aaron's mindset doesn't impact how we understand Nadav and Avihu's behavior. That stands as it does, and the text isn't clear about why they do what they do. But what you're saying is that I want to highlight today the perspective of Aaron and that Aaron is still there. He's still in this moment where he thought that things were going well for him and that he had achieved a certain, a certain kapara, a certain atonement for what he had done, even though it had never actually been set out right that he did something wrong. And then comes this event with his children and it sort of sends him right back into that black hole. Yes. And I would go, I would, I would, I would take it even further as to say that I've been claiming that the subplot is our own. No, look at the text. 
the text, the subplot, there's a story of Nadav and Avi. Why is everyone obsessed with it? It's a good story, I guess. We're trying to, I don't know. The story is so clearly about Aaron. Mm-hmm. You're saying even just in terms of how many psukim are dedicated to Aaron, and you're saying that, that that's very clear in the way that the, the psukim speak. Yeah, we have two full chapters. It's all about Aaron then. There's two psukim about, there's two, only two verses about Nadav mm-hmm. and and it's going to continue and, 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 you know, depending on how much time we have, we'll, we'll continue with it. But the story, the story's not over yet. People end the story of Nadav and Aviyu here, but there's about to be an argument between Moshe and Aaron. That is the end of the story. When people think about the story, very often the story ends here. Moshe is going to give encouragement or whatever it is to Aaron, Vayidom Aaron, Aaron is silent, or Van again there has just the most uh, amazing shot where he says, It's not that he was quiet the whole time. No, he was crying. He was, mm. he was hysterical. After Moshe spoke to him, then, then he was quiet, right? Again, wow, meaning we in. always think about it that he was just silent the whole time. That he accepted it. That he was that accepting. He, no, and he, said, he was crying. Wow, it was wow. after his brother comforts mm. him, then he's able to be quiet. Mm. But the end of the story is going to be this argument over the sacrificial meat, over the korban, over what Aaron's eating. And we see this anger coming, the story that people had skipped over, this anger coming from Moshe, the Atzirah Chatzat, Arosharach Moshe, Vayiksof Al-Azhar Al-Itamar. We see such anger from Moshe on Al-Azhar and Itamar, on Aaron, what are you doing? How are you not following the word of Hashem? The whole issue here was that you didn't do what Hashem said. How are you possibly not doing the right thing? Do you want to die also, right? From the perspective of Moshe for a second, he did just lose his two of his nephews, right? He did, he lost his Kohanim also. And Moshe is so upset and is here that Aaron is going to respond to him. This is how the story ends. The way, the way that the end of the story, do you see what happened to me today? You really think that if I, if I were to eat this Korban right now, which you, you eat in a state of, of happiness, you think that that would be good in the eyes of Hashem. Moshe hears, it's good in his eyes. That is the end of the story. And I think that it's fascinating because how often, how many of us have learned, and there's truth to it, but have learned that the point of this week's parsha, that the message of the story of Nadav and Avihu is that we follow the word of God, that they acted like prophets instead of priests, that they were creative and spontaneous in their in their service of God instead of following the letter of the law, that that is what Judaism is all about. But those people clearly didn't read the end of the story. The end of the story is that Aaron does not follow the letter of the law, that Moshe gets upset at him, that he explains himself, explains this situation is different. You need to see that this situation is different. And Moshe agrees. Right. So there's also this, it's not as triumphant of a moment, but we have a moment where where Aaron does lead, meaning ultimately the story ends and Aaron does take the lead. He teaches something to Moshe. And so he's able to take this horrifically painful moment, which I'm kind of like imagining people taking pictures before a wedding. Like there's a lot of tensions like running around the room, you know, and like everything just goes poorly because everyone's energy is in a bad place. So like, it just, it's just like breeds more negativity, you know, like nothing can go well when everyone's on edge. So it's understandable yeah. that everyone's on edge. We've just had like a terrible situation and it looks bad in front of Ami Israel and it's taking something that's supposed to be happy and, and ruined it. Um, but ultimately, Aaron pulls himself together 
And in whatever their halachic discussion is in this, in this section, which again, there's tremendous debate about what actually was the issue. Ultimately, within the, within the interpersonal dynamic, Aaron comes out having, there was a certain triumph there. You know, there was a yes. certain correction yes. that he was able to make. Yes, and the fact that Moshe accepts it, the commentators are going to come and say that shows his greatness. But I think here, he just lost his sons for not, they didn't follow the word of God. And a moment later, he's going to come challenge it. That, that is Aaron's leadership and his conviction and his true understanding. He is not just trying to follow the letter of the law. He has a full understanding of what this day is all about. Well, you know, we have to bring the conversation to a close, but just to sort of pull together some of the pieces that we saw, which is that I think that this this episode was really calling for a change of perspective. You know, you called it a subplot versus the the central plot or what we usually think of it as. But I think also it was really about perspective taking and that you were encouraging our listeners to at least momentarily take the perspective of our own. Uh, and see that while we, our eyes or our hearts tend to be drawn towards a certain section for some reason, that really you have to look at the psukim themselves, which, which really look at this event through the eyes of Aro, and much of it is devoted to him as opposed to the other, the other players in the scene. Uh, and that, and that that change of perspective really changes the way we look at, at this story. Um, is that, would you agree with that, with that summary? Definitely. I, I think that behind every story and even the stories that we think are just are not narrative are, are going to be law. Mm-hmm. There's a story behind it. Who says it? Is the, is the, was the command to Moshe? Was the command to Aaron? Was the ca- command of Moshe to Aaron? Well, why didn't God just speak to Aaron? He speaks to Aaron all the time. What, 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 how does Aaron going to respond when his younger brother is, is commanding him to do it? I think behind all of these stories, there, there is so much to it. And that's, of course, where Chazal come in and, and, and realizing where, where they're coming from. I think specifically Ramban does it a lot. It, yeah, transforms the story for us. Margo, thank you so much for coming here today and, and speaking with us. Thanks for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Please do one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.